my friends, and welcome back to the wonderful, most rainbow-filled Star Trek podcast out there. Asterix, I have no way of proving that. It is, of course, Star Trek Jujurations. I am one of your hosts, the wonderfully eclectically dressed, and by that I mean I grab whatever I can out of a wardrobe, it's usually a Star Trek uniform, Sean Ferrick. Joining me, as always, is the wonderful, the stunning, the very, very, very nice haircutted Jack Tracy. How are are you this week, Jack? You can't see this because I have Zoom off, but I'm currently shaking my fist at you for having me watch this absolutely horrid episode. I think this is the worst one we've seen. So it's funny, right? When we came up with the idea for this podcast, we were like, we'll discuss bad episodes and we'll see if we can mm. judge them up a little bit. And then we would always really quickly, you know, kind of rush to say, now, we're not saying they're bad episodes, just, you know, kind of, they might need a little bit of a, a tap or a push in the right direction. No, mm. everyone and their mother agrees this is a bad episode. Uh, this is from the third season of Star Trek, the original series, the oft maligned third season, I might mention. And it's an early episode. It's called And the Children Shall Lead. Um, at the top of this episode, let me say that Leonard Nimoy thought this was the worst episode of Star Trek that they'd ever done. And that included Spock's brain. Which I also haven't seen, which I expect will come probably at some point. Um... I, I, so I do, like, I would say this is worse than TNG season one. Like, this is, this is like, I don't understand the motivations of the villain. Mm. They pad it for time. Mm. I mean, the amount of fist shaking that is done in order to just drain out the minutes. And then, I don't, like, like. Everyone is all, you can tell, you see, you can tell that the actors don't like the episode because the acting is all over the place. Like, everyone is checked out on this episode. I said before when we did Shore Leave that William Shatner, I was like, people give him a bad name. Like, he, he was a really good actor in this episode. Not in this one. Not in this one. No, I agree. In, in this one, pretty much to a person. Uh, this is, this, do you know what this is? This is a paycheck episode. That's what this feels like. Yeah. And with that being the case, like, I think it would be easy for people looking for examples of Shatnerisms to look for these kind of episodes. And I'm not going to say that they're not right to look for them here because yeah. that scene in the in the, uh, the turbo elevator, what am I like? Star Trek, Sean, uh, turbo lift is, I mean, that's grade A Shatnerism. Um, but you're so right. When we cover episodes like Shore Leaf, City on the Edge of Forever. No, William Shatner could at least because I haven't seen him act recently could act very very well when yeah. the need arose right. this was not one of those times no no uh uh <laughs> and and I, you know I'm getting this because I did as again I did not watch much of the original series I'm also getting the sense that like George Takei is always given material that makes him somewhat crazy or high yep or high yeah they always make him a bit nuts mm. which see or or naive or yeah almost childlike in a way i so anybody who knows me knows that i don't care for children i'm looking for a man uh with uh zero children and dead parents i i have no interest in having children in any part of my life. And this episode not only confirmed that, but I am now a danger to children because I, I think I want to hurt them. Like, I was sitting in that episode the whole time. I was like, somebody punched that Farkle right in the face. Someone. So every time he shakes his fist, someone, go, Kirk, get up there and give him a 60s, you know, stage theater punch. Like, like come a on. double punch. Come on. Yeah. I yeah. want you to... I want you to pick up that little girl and throw her down the elevator shaft. Like, I... Turbo lift shaft. Apologies. See, you started it. That's right. I, I put the word in your head. That was me. Yeah. Wanted harm to come to these children. Um, so, you being comfortable <laughs> saying the phrase, I am a danger to children, is between you and your God. Um, <laughs> right. But I can certainly... And my I parole mean, officer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, hey, Jim. Um, it... Uh, 
like the, the, there's no getting over the fact that the actors in this are the, the child actors are not great now thankfully most of them don't get anything to do you know they're just there to look like oh we need some kids on set there you go um, hey who do you think is the best chi- and i don't mean i mean younger than wesley i don't mean wesley but like best not wesley and jake aside okay i would say the best child actor that we had i think it's the weird kid in the elevator in disaster who does that whole like uh he planted turnips and he came out all weird like he's oh, yeah. probably my favorite I do like him. I actually, I have to say, uh, maybe this... Well, actually, no, it's not unfair because it falls into the same thing. So going all the way forward to Star Trek Picard, the episode uh, of the Penthe. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Kestra, yeah. She, she she's is, great. She's very good. But now I've seen her in lots of things. She is definitely a rising star. Yeah. Uh, and you would think I could remember her name, but I can't. But she's yeah. excellent in that episode. And she would be, I mean, I think she's a teenager in the episode. Um, yes. So, but if we were to look back, I guess if we're looking back on, say, I suppose, TOS uh, up to and including Enterprise, I can think of yeah. no child actors in Enterprise. Um, I, I'm sorry to say this, it ain't going to be Alexander Roshenko, any of the ones who played him, I'm afraid. I uh, see, see, I'm a justice for Alexander. I liked him in, well, when, when he was in Reunion, he was just, like, he was eight child oh, sure. baby child yeah. so like he doesn't count and he you know he didn't really have to do much and those scenes where his little hand like takes worse big hand like it's 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 done well it's very like that's one of my favorite episodes reunion yeah he was a handy but, um, prop but i didn't mind i let me tell you i'll take uh what was his name brian bonsell brian bonds yeah he was the yeah. second one right it was paul Stewart, i will take I him over adolescent alexander who i hated Adolescent being D- DS9? Yes. Hated yeah, okay, hate yeah. it. Hated that Alexander. I was like, oh, what a whiny. Blah. No, no, no. I liked it. I thought he had cute moments. I And, you know, we talked about this, some a Trek culture video that I vehemently disagreed with. But um, I liked him in Cost of Living and I liked him in Luxana. I oh, thought yeah. they were fun. I liked that. I, I liked the ones around him. I, I'm I'm sorry to be such a stick in the mud now. Uh, Cost of Living, I, I loved Luxana in that yeah. episode. Um, and you know the whole gag at the end in the mud bath is very very funny I yeah. I found I think with some with some exceptions um, Firstborn being one of them um, I think Alexander I think they just never really got the balance and I I kind of put that more on they didn't really know what to do with Worf in that situation because right. I think we discussed this recently actually we discussed it in the last episode Worf became more of a character in DS9 than he did in The Next Generation. Um, better or worse. Like, there are bits that were much better in TNG and bits that were much better in DS9. Um, I always prefer TNG Worf. I always prefer... Okay. They, they, made, they made DS9 Worf uh, whiny and petulant and oh, certainly rude. Yeah. And, like, I don't know. I didn't... I liked Worf in TNG. In DS9, like, he was not a favorite character of mine. But, John, we're doing it again. Yes, we are. Okay. We're doing it again, which is this episode is so terrible that our (laughs) minds, to protect us, are finding reasons to talk about anything else. But, um, Sean, explain to me this episode. Like, run me through it because I really don't understand the why of this episode. So the Enterprise receives a distress call from the colony whose name I've forgotten. They yeah. get to the colony and the... They same find planet they, uh, same planet as Hide in Q again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rocks and green sky. <laughs> Rocks and green sky, 100%, even with the remaster. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they arrive and they find a bunch of dead adults on the ground. Uh, there's one still alive who stands up long enough for them to realize that he doesn't recognize them at all, despite the fact Kirk identifies him by name. Mm. And then he dies. That. And the next thing we see is the children of these scientists just running around and playing, having a great time. Cut to credits. Um, then there's the, episode, the the name of the episode, And the Children Shall Lead, is such a wrong title for this episode. As in, like, no, they, they, they never do. Anyway, so throughout the course of the episode, the first big question is, why don't these children care? Uh, they mm. are aware of the fact that they are leaving this colony, that, you know, they've left their parents behind. Uh, We get one very nice scene, uh, which is actually something that deserves being mentioned, where Nurse Chapel 
is oh, with them yeah. in the Arboretum. And, you know, it's just nice for her. Legitimately, I mean this now. It's just nice for her to have something to do that's not, you know... Yeah, yeah. she actually has something to do. She does... Major Bear gets to act in this episode for a few right. minutes. Right. Um, Kirk comes in. He tries to question the eldest of the children who is he seems to be at least a pre, maybe an early teen where the rest are all like small children a bit of he was he's their wesley to their when the bow breaks children yeah yeah, yeah, season yeah. One. Mm-hmm. um like that he's just like he's checked out he's like but it, the, the, even in this scene there's a there's a kind of a sense of like if we can just get him to realize but then nope he leaves the room um then we cut to the children in their quarters and they do a sort of a ring around a rosy summoning charm. And we get our villain of the week, which is Gorgon, uh, who is a uh, personal injury lawyer, Melvin Belly, uh, having a ba- basically a, a ratings boost uh, guest star role where he's all shimmery and green. The, wait, wait, wait. How those... is he a ratings boost? Like he's a well-known personal injury attorney? I will. I would. You know, I have. I have a couple of notes about that, so I'll go into that now in a second, right? Because uh, there's a couple of interesting bits around that. Well, um, watch out for Star Trek Picard season three, where Salino and Barnes. You don't know that. That's a U.S. I, thing. There's. It's like the commercial. Well, actually, I think one of them is dead. But I yo, think Barnes. Okay. Barnes is dead. But it's one of those where, like, I can sing you the jingle because it's on television all the time. Salino gotcha. and Barnes, injury attorneys, one hundred eight 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 eight. Okay, I always want Marvel. <laughs> How do people get those numbers? Like, I've, you see all like, you know, hey, call 555-555-555-555. Yeah, I think, I think you, yeah, anyway. So, from this moment on, he basically imbues them with power that through, as you correctly said, the power of fist shaking, they can basically take control of the adults' minds. Uh, we start to see this in engineer or, you know, whatever cheap Is this why we were talking about fisting before the call? This is what I'm really uncomfortable talking about fisting and children in the same sentence. So I'm going to move swiftly past that. Um, so we are, yeah, we, we see them in, yeah, this week's version of the engineering set. We see them get onto the bridge and they start taking over, like you said, Sulu, and they make him a bit high. They make Uhura see herself as an old woman, which in 1969 apparently was the worst thing she could see. Um, Chekhov is convinced to basically take Kirk. And, oh yeah, Spock is mind controlled, but then he comes out of it by touching his head. Um, and there's yeah. this actually pretty cool scene where the children make it so that no one can understand Kirk, and the audio plays his dialogue in reverse. So he is actually speaking, but it's being played backwards, and so no one can actually hear him until Spock does his mind thing and hears that Kirk is like, uh, "What the hell's going on here, folks?" So we now um, know where Missy Elliott got her inspiration for working. <laughs> uh, or The Exorcist, which followed this episode, actually. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, and then, so yeah, so Kirk does succumb, but then kind of gets slapped out of it by Spock. Uh, they try, The kids try to have him arrested. Of course, it doesn't work. They basically fanny about until they get back to the bridge, and they find it's actually a vaguely cool shot of this eldest child. I'm pretty sure it's called Peter. Um, I've been referring to him as Farkle. Perfect. All right, so Farkle is sitting in the captain's chair and it's a bit of a, it's because it's such a weird image. I actually, it's it's always stuck with me uh, because he definitely like, he's not an adult painted to look like a child, like every CW show ever. He's actually a child sitting in the right. captain's chair and it's a bit of a cool image. Right. But anyway, Kirk comes in and they, he, you know, shenanigans ensue and he basically forces them to summon, he kind of plays a recording, summons the Gorgon and then the Gorgon's like, oh, we're going to take over the whole universe because reasons. And the kids are like, yeah, yeah, deadly. And Kirk's like, yeah, but all your parents are dead. And they're like, oh, shit, you're right. And then they start to get sad, which the Gorgon then loses power and dies. And then there is this bizarre scene at the end. It's your standard, you know, episode sign off where Kirk's in the captain's chair. And I mean, I mean, these kids have just walked off the bridge and Kirk is already smiling like, well, let's start our next adventure. Ha 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 ha. thing. And he always do. It's like, yeah, they've, they've just dealt with the fact that their parents are dead. Tonal shift. And then the episode ends and it's, it's, it's a real kind of like, oh, what was the point of any of this? One, what was the point of any of it? I guess, like, you answered my question with why is he doing this, which I get to take over the, I get, you know, like a vague. And then also, 
Um, um, yeah, the, 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 I'm just perplexed. I'm perplexed as to the why of this whole episode. If this were so, if this were a good episode, it would be a combination of what was it called? Which is the one with Marla Astor? Is that Newground? That is the bonding. Bonding. So it's it would be the bonding meets power play. Yeah, if this oh yeah, were I a see that. good episode. It's a bad episode, so quite frankly, do you see all of the parallels with Star Trek V? Um okay. The so followers, the mind yeah. control, um, yeah. must head to this planet. Like it, it the, the god stuff is out of it, but like it's very take over the ship to head to a place they're all mind controlled like there's a star trek fiveness about this i get that yeah plus they're heading to marcus three which i thought was just great it's like obviously marcus was the intern walking to the loo and they went uh right it's called marcus three um that's the planet they're heading toward um right but yeah so um all right here's the challenge jack what did you like about this episode and you have to pick one thing at least um, well, none of the children were vaporized, so not that. <laughs> um, um, this is difficult. Oh, well, okay. So I like the concept. You know, another, if this were a good episode, it also has elements of, um, brothers with Data taking over the ship and then, you know, in the beginning yeah. of brothers. But like, for me... I do like a, we lost control of the ship and we have to, we have to, you know, we're not on the bridge and we have to like take the bridge back. Like, I like that as a concept. Um, I like episodes that have that element of like, it's like a home invasion kind of story. Yeah. uh, At its most basic level. So I do like that. And that's it. Um, I liked seeing, I think this is the first step because he wasn't really in Shore Leave, but I liked seeing, uh, James Doohan act. Um. Yes. Yep. That was nice. Um. End of, end of list. That's fair. You? That is fair. Um, I, so I like that scene with Chapel. Um. Oh, yes. Chapel, Chapel was lovely. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I actually remember the kids being much worse than they were. So, which is, I know that's such a compliment with the sting of the tail, but so in that respect, they were not as bad as I remember them being. Now, because most of them had nothing to do. So that definitely benefits them. Uh, like the heavy lifting really falls on Farouk. Um, and I think he does okay. You know, I think he's he's a kid actor trying his best. Uh, he right. would go on to do more stuff, which I will get to in a few minutes. Um, yeah, yeah, the main kids are what? Farkle and Baby Jane. Farkle and Baby Jane. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. That, that's that's the main two. And actually, all right, so here's here's one of my strange behind-the-scenes bits while I pad for time, while I try and find mm. something I like. Just, just um, like this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So one of the kids, um, I'm going to assume it is the Caucasian kid who isn't Farkle. Uh, I believe his name is Charlie in real life. He was cast. He is the son of Melvin Belly, the the guy playing the Gorgon. And Fred Freiberger, who had become showrunner and executive producer for the third season of the original series. Third season of the original series, for all of its bad episodes, super interesting behind the scenes. Because, like, Mm. the show was on its way out, even from episode one, right? So Fred Freiger goes, we need ratings and we need them badly. And yet he stumbled on this idea that getting Melvin Belly, personal injury lawyer, who was, he was a celebrity in his own right, to come in and do a guest spot would be, you know, this this ratings boost. Uh, He was awful. Uh, But they knew it on set. They went, oh, no, this guy's not an actor. Uh, and in in his defense, he's not an actor at all. Um, came in, delivered his life so wooden that Gene Roddenberry, who was like this weird relationship where he both was there and wasn't there in season mm. three. Um, but yeah, he just said, dial up the voice effects and dial up the green shimmer. And I want there to, I want you to see as little as possible of that guy. That's how bad he is. 
as someone who produces his own work and hires actors and edits, like I know that struggle. Mm. I've had to I've had to crop people out of things and shorten people's appearances on screen before because the acting is wooden and terrible. So I I feel that I get that. What does who what? Who is a personal injury stan who's like, oh my god, my dude Melvin, he's on Star Trek. We got guys, get the family together. We got to get around the TV. I love that guy, that personal injury attorney. Who, who, who? What was the uh, audience that they were going to pull in from this guy? Now, you see, this obviously is nineteen sixty nine, so it's a very different time from today. Right. But and I say this with all of the love in my body. There is exactly one country in the world where there is a cult of suing people. And it would be the country in which this episode was filmed. So I do wonder if that in any way played a part. Right, but that's still true today. And I can't think of a, like, if <laughs> Discovery sees... Well, you know what? They did, It's not lawyer, but, you know, they did it with Stacey Abrams and Discovery. But I don't think true. that made anybody go watch Discovery. I think it was mm. just a treat... To the people who watch Discovery, I don't think, like, everyone's like, Stacey Abrams, we've got to go watch. It's a ratings, you know, thing. Because that's it. Like, mm. Star Trek off, uh, Next Generation, my show, often had, you know, like, um, um, you know, the, the, the Fleetwood Mac guy was randomly on. And, yeah. you know, they did that, too. But I don't think it, I, don't, I didn't get the sense it was for ratings. It was just like, isn't this cute? I think you're right. I think what what TOS season three was facing was that it began in the death slot. I mean, it was the Friday nights at eleven o'clock. You know, they were they were lucky to get the viewers they did get initially. So, whereas we live now, well, actually no, going back even to Next Gen. Next Gen was sold into syndication straight away. Right. So ratings, not that ratings were easy. Ratings are never easy, but they were easier. Right. Than say. The, you know, TOS, you had one slot one day a week, and if you missed it, you missed it. And, of course, 1969, there you know, there were no VHSs to tape them. Right. Um, whereas, with at least with TNG, there was. So there was some of the pressure off, which is why I think maybe there was some of the logic between, I think some of the guest stars in TNG were for the fun of having the guest stars. Whereas right. I think in the original series, it was the, we're throwing the kitchen sink at the wall here to see what sticks. Right. I wonder um, why they stopped doing that, like selling because you know Voyager was supposed to be the 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 flagship show of UPN over here at least, mm. and then I don't know was I'm, Enterprise sold into syndication. I'm fairly, I might you're on fairly certain Enterprise aired on UPN as well. UPN as well, you're right. So like, um, I wonder why they. I guess because Paramount wanted its own network, and now they're basically doing it now with Discovery, Picard, and Strange New Worlds. It's their like streaming thing. But yeah, I I almost wonder if Star Trek does better when it isn't sort of under a specific network when it's sold into syndication from the jump. I wonder. Well, I, I don't know. I, I wonder because the, the, the proof is in the pudding because TOS, uh, while it was airing, TOS consistently lost in the ratings to shows like Lost in Space right. uh, on its first airing. TOS really took off when it was doing reruns. Right. Um, then the animated series came along. Now, to be honest, at the time, that didn't light anyone on fire. They were trying to get kids in, you know, the Saturday morning cartoon right. crowd. Right. Um, but it was really, it was reruns and then it was the advent of the conventions. Yeah. Uh, so when Next Generation came along and it was sold straight away into syndication, I think that was probably the best decision that they could have made. Well, I don't even know if it was a decision. I think it was possibly, I I have to go back into the history of this, and I'm sure one of our listeners will school us on Instagram about this after they hear this, but I'm pretty sure, like, the network's passed, and they were like, fuck it, we're doing it anyway. That would make sense, because while Star Trek was doing well at the box office, mostly, mostly, we we had, by before... TNG, and I promise we'll get back to talking about this episode. But we don't have to. We really, we really don't aired, have to. We really don't. Uh, it's true. Yeah. I mean, my judge is short. Let's put it that way. Um, mm. But uh, we'd had Star Trek 4 and the success of Star Trek 4, which at the time was gangbusters. Like this yeah. was, you know, this was the third sequel to a movie that, yes, it had done well at the box office, but it cost so much to make. It wasn't quite the massive success it could have been. Right. And this was the third sequel, and they were like, oh, it didn't really have any right to be as good as it was, and it was brilliant. And so they went, okay, 
let's do a TV show. Yeah. While you also had people going, well, we have a very successful movie franchise going here. I, I want to do that. And you kind of had the beginnings of the separation there. I think as right. well, um, from about 1987... Star Trek Five and Star Trek. Here is pointless information for you. Star Trek Five and Star Trek Six are the only two Star Trek properties up until the end of Enterprise that Rick Berman wasn't directly involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, useless information. You will never need to know that. But there you are. Um, so and... what? What do you remember about? You know, since since our pros are so short and our cons are yeah. everything else. What do you remember? Like when you first saw this episode, when was it, and what do you what do you remember from it? Why did you re- think to choose this? So I this is an episode I can confidently say I have not watched in about twenty years. Hmm. Um, but it's it's infamous this episode because of how poorly it was received at the time. See, a lot of Star Trek. Uh, you know, it kind of came out and then either aged badly, mm. um, but, you know, kind of fit into that kind of 60s camp, you know, that kind of B sci-fi kind right. of schlock. This didn't even then. This was just like, uh, as I said, Leonard Nimoy said, this is the worst episode we've done. Um, no one was happy with it. Even like it was, it was one of those ones. Today you describe it as it was sent out to die. And I remember, the only thing I really remember is I remember vaguely the kids and... Um, with all due respect to Craig Huxley, who played Farkle, uh, I remembered him because he was quite distinctive with his very his shock of red hair and that very straight... Uh, William Ware Thice, who, who did all the uniforms and the costumes mm. for Star Trek, mm-hmm. very interesting costume choice when all the kids were for some reason wearing, like, knee-high leather boots. Nearly really didn't understand that. Like, yeah. like PVC leather. Uh, didn't understand that choice. Um, no. But yes, sorry. So these kind of things stand out. And of course, the image of the Gorgon, you know, for better or worse, has always stood out to me. But what about you? So for me, again, didn't watch TOS. So my familiarity with TOS is that if it's referred to in another series or from that book, I should, it's in my storage unit. I should go get it. But it's my Star Trek chronology book, which had additional editions. Like I was always like at Borders checking to see if there was a new one. Um, and I just remember, so next to this in the chronology where they have it like year by year, they have this episode and the image was old Uhura. So when that came on screen, I was like, I know yeah. that picture. I know this, but I didn't know what it was from or who they were or any of that. Uh, I knew nothing, nothing about this episode. Um, just when old Uhura and wow, I mean, was that her in makeup or was that sort of like a claymation stop animation thing like it was do you know what i don't know i i assumed it was her in makeup but i don't know that was odd it didn't look like her old it looked like her melting yeah because we know as of recording nichelle nichols is still alive so we've seen what she looks like several years later she still doesn't look as bad as that that was strange but you know what honestly I mean, just remember the the makeup they had on Brent Spiner as uh, Doctor Sung. Yeah, oof. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they did what they could do. Um, all right, so I have done everything I can to judge this thing and keep as much of it as possible because I feel like with a lot of these we could literally just throw it out and make a whole new story. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm interested to see how you have made this. This one's like nearly unwatchable. I would say if you were going through TOS, like this is one you just you could just skip. There's a, there's a lot of season three you can do with that. But anyway, yeah. uh, right? Okay. Well, All I right. mean, it's Jack. Well, no, we gotta take a break, Sean. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's we have to send this to commercial where I yell at people to join our Patreon. All right, cool. So we are going to cut to commercial where Jack is going to yell at you to join our Patreon. Jack, take it away. Hi, gay. Do you like Star Trek? Do you like gay? Well, then you might want to join the Star Trek Zhuzh Orations fan community over at patreon.com slash Star Trek Zhuzh. Z-H-U-Z-H. Why would you want to do that? Well, one, you think that Sean and or I are pretty, and you would like to lift us out of abject poverty. Or because you really like this podcast and you want to help support it and keep it afloat by allowing us to afford the administrative expenses of doing it. Or 
you just want some exclusive content. So what's exclusive content on the Star Trek Jujurations Patreon? That is your ability to get the episode before anyone else. You can also see the video recording of us doing the episode where we wear our Starfleet uniforms, me, my single Next Generation Command uniform, and Sean rotating through his collection of probably about 359 different uniforms which is currently the number of uniforms on screen between Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and Star Trek Picard, because apparently uniforms are custom to your design now. You can also have direct interaction with us with Ask Me Anythings that we'll hold, a weekly live event where we will be watching the episode that we are going to review, and even your ability to participate by helping us choose the next episodes on the podcast. So if you like gay, and you like Star Trek, and you like supporting independent creators and writers who are trying to do their thing, head on over to patreon.com slash Star Trek Zhuzh, Z-H-U-Z-H, and find a membership tier that works for you. In fact, I'm going to throw in a sweetener. If you sign up for our biggest tier, the most exclusive tier, which is our commander tier, for three months, I will give you a fourth month for free if and only if you direct message me on Patreon and tell me what this is. Do, 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 See you on the Patreon. Hello everyone and welcome back. Now, because I subjected poor Jack to this, um, we're going to call it an episode because we legally have to. Um, I am, I'm putting my head on the chopping block first for judging this. And I have, I have a plan. I don't know if it's a good plan, but I have an idea, right? So because Leonard Nimoy said this was the worst episode he'd ever done, I'm making this a Spock episode. Um, that's what you get you gotta be careful what you say because some punk on a podcast nearly 60 years later is gonna make you regret your words Um, right so I'm gonna I'm gonna be keeping as straightforward as possible so we're gonna keep the opening scene Um, Enterprise arrives adults are dead the children are playing around but this time they're not gonna bury the adults they're gonna bring the bodies with them alright so the bodies are gonna be laying out in you know, there will be whatever room we use, sick bay, you know, whatever, whatever we use for it this time. And they'll be covered over, right? Um, that's, and that's basically act one. We get back up to the Enterprise and we, we set a course away. Um, but the kids in this are going to be much less um, articulate. So I'm doing away with the, you know, the kind of the, that you know it's the kids straight away, basically. I'm doing away with that. You will still get that scene with Chapel in the Arboretum because I'm not Robin Majel Barrett of whatever few scenes she got. So, uh, Do you think she got it because DeForest Kelly walked off set and was like, I ain't doing this? Very possible. Because there is a scene where he legitimately is like, I'm out of here, Jim. That's so funny. Um, so we're going to keep that scene. Um, and But the kids are going to be... Yes, they know their parents have died, but you can tell they don't understand what death is. So that's going to be the first kind of, right, something is wrong. Hmm. Um, And it will be down to Kirk and Spock, because of course, to talk to the kids. Spock is trying to logic them. Kirk is trying to be like, listen, you can't logic kids, you know, you can't the way you would with adults. So we get a little bit of banter between Spock and Kirk that way. Um, And then while they're in the Arboretum with the kids, crew members are going to start to go missing. Mm. Now, so Spock is going to lead this investigation and we're going to get a lot of, well, I say a lot of, you know, kind of standard, you know, first officer's log entries going on. You know, first officer's log, I'm investigating the disappearance of Ensign Ricky. Um, And because no one else cares. And so there'll be things like that. And it will be a pure, gone, vanished, no trace, nothing. Um, And there will be, I think, three. Because I'm going to do one per log entry. So we're going to go three people will disappear. And it's going to get up to the bridge. Because Lieutenant Leslie is going to go missing. And he's got to be our named character that we know. Mm. Uh, Because poor old Eddie Paskey even got to sit in the captain's chair once. And all of the time, the kids are accounted for. They, there is a camera on them. They are accounted for. And 
But the thing is, Spock is getting more and more paranoid. And he's like, it's clearly the kids. I mean, what's the common denominator here? What's come on board the ship before these disappearances? It's the kids. It's the kids. And you have everyone is starting to go, Spock, I think you might need a break. You know, maybe we give you a bit. First of all, we'll give you some help with this investigation. And Mm -hmm. second of all, we're going to replace you on this investigation. And he's replaced by Chekhov. Because you see, I know Chekhov is Ensign, but people forget Chekhov would go on to become the chief of security of the Mm -hmm. Enterprise. So this would be a first scene of that, him taking over. And once Chekhov takes over, more people start disappearing. Which means the point, the, the finger of guilt is being pointed now at Chekhov. Because he has the know-how, he has the opportunity, and he has, you know, kind of like the access codes and everything. So mm-hmm. Spock at this point is confined to quarters. Because he has been vocal about, you know, against Chekhov, vocal against Kirk, even. Kirk is 100% on Chekhov's side. And what Spock does is he manages to break out of his quarters. He gets as far as the Arboretum, where the kids are still playing. And they greet him, hi, Mr. Spock, it's so nice to see you. Chapel, who is there, greets him with pure fear which, of course, we would never expect to see. We'd never expect to see Nurse Chapel scared of Spock. And, you know, the security starts to descend on the Arboretum. Mm-hmm. Um, he escapes the Arboretum, gets as far as Sick Bay, where the bodies of the colonists are still covered over. Only they're not the bodies of the colonists. They're the missing crewmen. Mm-hmm. We cut back to the Arboretum the missing colonists are alive and playing with the kids and everyone else in the room, chapel, probably Kirk at this point are in a sort of a trance. Uh, Spock goes to watch a bit. Now the crewmen are not dead. They're, they're just knocked out because we can't, we can't mm-hmm. kill some named characters. Ensign Ricky's screwed, but the rest are alive. Um, right. So he gets back to the Arboretum, sees the adults and he's just like, you're dead. And they're like, no, we're not. No, we're not. And he, reminds the children now only through the fact that he's Vulcan and basically reminds the children via and this is where Farouk will come into you know come into his leadership here via a quick mind meld the image of seeing the parents dead he convinces the rest of the kids the bodies drop down the Gorgon appears and then we more or less play out toward the end. The spell of the Gorgon ends. He's gone off the ship. The crew obviously apologized to Spock. The kids then have to deal with their trauma and the episode ends. So what so the the, the kids the the fact that the parents are alive is a is an illusion. Yes. Yeah, well, basically their bodies, their, the energy from their bodies and the belief of the kids is what's keeping the Gorgon going. So the when the rest of the crew are kind of on the kids' side, the Gorgon has the energy to reanimate these corpses. Re- okay, and so the corpses are actually reanimated. Exactly. Now, they look like they're alive and well, but actually as soon as the kids begin to realize, they start to drop off. Might even, do you know what I might do? is might have one of the corpses drops and they start to realize, and the rest do. So the kids are obviously in bits, and that's enough to get rid of the Gorgon. So in yours, the kids are entirely innocent, and it's this paras- this space parasite that's like just feeding off of energy. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So, so this feels like the Davidians, and then I'm also getting images of um, of, what was it? night terrors where beverly's yes. in the cargo bay and the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what it's giving me definitely interesting definitely night terrors was an inspiration here interesting well i went with um my inspiration being power play which is one cool. of my favorite tng episodes great episode. um so kept kept the kids kept the kids being the villains and uh, kept the Gorgon. Pretty much kept all the main characters and most of the sets and most of the... I did not make it a Spock episode, but I just gave it more um, purpose. 
So, okay. So we have a distress call from the planet. It's a it's a, a colony or a terraforming project or something. And there's been a distress, you know, call, and that's why they're going. Uh, there's no answer from it. They beam down and they find all of the colonists, scientists, whatever, dead. And all of the children are sitting in a circle around the distress beacon. Eerily quiet. They're not, um, they're not playing. They're not like that creepy, like playing over their, the corpses of their parents, but they're, it gives the audience the, and, and, and McCoy the opinion that like they're in shock. Mm. Like these children are in shock as to what happened. They were somehow able to act, you know, activate a distress beacon and they've been just waiting for help because they're not really talking much. They're, you know, avoidant. They avoid eye contact. They're not really looking at their parents. Like it's very much treated as these kids are in trauma. So um, Chapel is with them, and Chapel takes them back up to the ship while the rest of them investigate what's going on. So there's also, um, um, I want a theme through it to be the, anytime it's suggested that the kids be either like taken to like their own quarters or, or you know, matched with someone to like, like, you know, split up in any way. They adamantly do not want to be split up. They, they must be together. They must stay together. And it's interpreted as it's, you know, they've been through a traumatic event. They, they, they don't want to be separated from each other. And so they allow that, they allow them, they share a quarters when they're on the ship. They're always with chapel. They're, you know, they stay as a pack, which is important. So chapel takes them up. They investigate and they find that the parents are, it's as if they were attacked by like a wild animal. They're like mutilated, viciously just as, yeah, as if they were attacked by a wild animal. So they start like, you know, and the equipment's damaged, but they're going to take it up to the ship to see if they can get any logs. And the theory just being that maybe the kids were away or playing or somewhere when whatever attacked attacked that's what they are surmising that it was some animal but they they don't find any traces of it they can't you know they're not finding any other animal life on there wasn't supposed to be animal life on the planet but they're trying to put it together as to to what um so they take the equipment up um they either take the bodies or they don't take the bodies that's not important for my judge so They get to the ship. Again, it's the whole thing about not wanting to be separated. So Chapel takes them to the Arboretum to, to hang out with them. And they just they they tell her they're hung they tell her that they're hungry. So she goes off to get them stuff and basically so they can be alone. And they start talking in a way that's um, strange and adult. It's very much like how many, you know, they're, they're talking about their circumstances. How many decks do you think the ship is? Where do you think the control center is? How do you think it does this? Like, it's very clear that they're not what they appear to be. And they're sort of like trying to trying to figure out what they want to do and how to do it. And they see in the Arboretum of a passing security guard who's like going from A to B and he's going into a turbo lift. And one of them is like, he has what we need. So they follow him into the turbo lift while Chapel's off getting them food. And it's this, they get in the turbo lift and it's all these kids standing there and the security guards got, security guards looking at them kind of like, hi, hi kids, what's up? And they descend upon him and attack him and kill him and take his phaser. Oh God. So they come back to, and you don't really like, you see them like jump and then you like hear it. So it's that like, oh God, like you don't really see it, see it. So they're back in the Arboretum. You see that the kid, one of the kids, probably the oldest one, has tucked the the phaser in, like, the back of his pants and has it, like, hidden. So now we know that people are in danger. Chapel's in danger. She doesn't know it. Um, they start asking, you know, they want to learn more about how the, the, the ship works and, you know, can we see engineering? Can we see the bridge? And she's like, well, you know, let's just stay here and play this and that. And they play sort of the sympathy, like, we just really need a distraction, you know, we just really, we need to do something. It's hard to play, you know, because of what happened. And, you know, they play on her sympathies. So she basically takes them on a field trip around the ship. So meanwhile, you've got, you know, Kirk and Spock and McCoy trying to figure out what happened. And then I think you need some sort of, like, um, 
some sort of ship malfunction that's going on, some sort of power failures in different parts of the ship um, so that you also have this investigation of like, there's some, something is draining energy. So you've got an energy drain situation. This disco- the body of the security guard has not yet been discovered, but you've got the, the, the mystery of the, the, what happened to the kids and the, the kids' parents, and now we've got a weird energy drain thing happening on the ship. So they go to engineering. They ask a whole bunch of very specific questions that Scotty is very much like, Wow, you kids are really <laughs> you get you kids are really interested in like warp mechanics and and how the ship works and is like weirded out a bit but mildly impressed like oh you know these are smart kids or whatever and then they really want to see the bridge so Chapel takes them up to the bridge uh, that's where Spock Kirk Uhura and Sulu are they're all there and as soon as they walk in the one takes the phaser out and just starts firing indiscriminately. And the little girl says to Farkle, like, don't, don't, we may need some of them. So basically that, you know, to not kill our main cast because Farkle vaporizes a red shirt. And so they're all, they scatter to get off the bridge. They keep Sulu and Chapel. And the rest of them, so, okay, so the rest of them are scattering. There's a bit of an action sequence. They don't want to fire, these are kids. They don't want to fire the kids. They, they're, like, thinking, like, you know, what are you doing? Like, a kid who got a hold of something, you know, a gun. Like, they, they don't they don't quite appreciate that, that there's a more malevolent force at play here. And in the, in the struggle, Kirk d- does sort of, like, a, like, the kids turn and faced another way. And he, like, body, he, like, runs and scoops up the kid who has the phaser. The phaser drops, and they fall into the elevator. Or the elevator, you, in the elevator. you got to <laughs> say an elevator. Into the turbo lift. They fall into the turbo lift. The turbo lift doors close. One of the other kids grabs the phaser and is now holding Chapel and Sulu at bay. Everyone else is evacuated through the other turbo lift. And maybe Spock's with him. So it's Spock, Kirk, and this kid. And the kid's, like, struggling, and he's feral. He's, like, out of, out of his mind. And as the turbo lift descends, he sort of comes to his senses. And then, and is sort of, like, doesn't understand where he is, one, asking where his parents are. And that's when they sort of get the idea that, like, something was controlling him, that it wasn't him. He's not aware of, you know, what was happening. And he slowly, so they're asking him questions, like, you know, the planet. And he's like, we were out playing in the in the woods or something. And there was this voice and it was telling me what to do. And then as he's like recalling it and thinking about it, he's realizing that like he remembers. Because they're like, is this, this thing that was telling you what to do? Did it attack your parents? And he says, I did. And then starts to lose it because he now realizes he murdered his parents. The kids did it. So they drag him to, because he's now like, like almost catatonic because of what he's realized he has done. So they take him to sickbay, they sedate him. So now it's, um, and Uhura is maybe the one trying to lead this conversation as sort of our compassionate maternal kind of like, and Kirk and Spock are just kind of watching this in horror. So they get to the sick bay, they get sick bay, they're sort of strategizing what they need to do, and they realize that, you know, whatever it is that's controlling them, they, they realize that, so on the bridge, they've made Sulu, they ask Sulu, like, where are they heading? They're heading to a starbase. Are there any children there? Probably not. And they're like, where's the, you know, closest inhabited planet, Marcus 3, take us there. You know, I will not. They vaporize another red shirt. Okay, let's, and then point the, the phaser at Chapel and basically says, you know, Go, go where we tell you to go. So Sulu takes the ship to Marcus Three. So they realize down in sickbay that the, the ship is now going somewhere else. Um, so they know they need to take back the ship. Why are they going to Marcus Three? Why? So if something's controlling them, why do they control the kids and not the parents? Surely the parents would have been more able to do things than, than children, even though the children seem to be pretty self-sufficient. Um, and then also realizing that when the kid was away from them, that's when he came to his senses and remembering that the kids were really adamant that they had to stay together. So they put it all together and they were like, whatever's controlling them, they have to stay together. If they're separated, whatever spell or whatever is being done to them is broken. So we need to get them separated. 
So they wait until they get to Marcus three. They leave the bridge in a power play kind of way to get to the transporter, you know. Uh, they don't take hostages. Or maybe they do take hostages. And they, they're going down to the transporter room. There's an ambush set up. It's an action sequence to basically pull the children away from each other and, like, get them into other rooms and get them out of the hallway. So they, there's an action sequence. There's phaser firing, all that sort of stuff. They eventually separate all the children except for the little girl who's now there talking to them with, you know, creepy alien voice. And, you know... Basically, you know, if if you do not allow me to to leave this ship, I will, you know, I will harm this child. And so they don't know what to do, you know, and then you know, Kirk's arguing with them about, like, you have no place left to go. You know, if you hurt the child, you know, you know, we'll, you know, you, there's nothing else for you here. The thing kind of appears and you see it sort of this, it's not a person. It's like this energy creature that has like a tendril that's sort of attached to the girl and you see the other tendrils that are now unattached, and it tries to lock on to Kirk and Chapel and all of them, and it can't. And Spock is like, yes, it needs children. It's not strong enough. Like, it, the, it can't control our minds, but it can control theirs. And that's why, that's why it didn't go for the parents. That's why it went for them. It can't. It has to be a kid. And so realizing, you know, the, the, the creature realizing it has nowhere else to go, the little girl picks up the phaser and turns it on herself, and that's when they all just shoot the energy creature to kill it. Like, everyone there. So they blow up the energy creature, the girl is fine. Scoops her up, take all the kids down to sickbay. The coda is where they're all, so they're all sedated, and being, you know, like, given a, sorry, my, my dog is, Maxie, no nightmares! No. He's being scared by this story, he's having little nightmares. It is um, scary! So they're all sedated, and the coda is basically Kirk, Kirk tells McCoy to wipe their memories. Because no child should have to live with the memory of, of what that creature made them do. And that's the end of the episode. Jack, that's dark. Yeah. It's good. That's, that's, that's good. Um, the, like, you probably like, heard me react there when you said, the little girl turns the phaser on herself. I was just like, oh my god. So for I mean, me, I, that was... I know you don't that... like kids, but like, come on, like... For me, that was um, uh, Chekhov, Terrell, Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's just something about the idea of a, a little girl. Because obviously, having just watched the episode, I mean, she is a little girl. In right. A, uh, right, um, because that adds stakes <laughs> and drama. And like your audience, instead of your audience being like, fuck these fucking kids, the way I was, would have been like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. So yeah. I think that really heightens... Heightens the, you know, you make that, you give her creepy, you know, exorcist voice and everything to make her, like, creepy. But then when, uh, when the alien basically realizes it's reached the end of the road and it goes to take one more, you know, basically a middle, a middle, a middle finger to them of, like, fuck y'all, fuck y'all. Um, that's when, yeah, they just blow it up. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was, that was good. Um, oh yeah. No, I, I, I like that. What I, what I would love to do at some point when we have uh, time in the future is do mm. an episode where we both go through, because we've, we've both written some fairly um, dark versions of stories, gothic, mm. uh, gro like grounded, to go back through, right, what are our actual writing influences when it comes to, like, you know, kind of like, you know, like, oh, we do an episode like Let He Was Without Sin. Yeah, grand. So the Munich uh, attack by, um, you know, the people against Mossad in 1978 actually right. played my main inspiration here. Um, that was really good, Jack. Our, you know, cause, and we were saying before this that you were just like, I'm really, I don't know how I'm going to judge this. I think you judged it very well. It's dark. It's definitely dark. It's not too dark for Star Trek. As you say, like, you're getting inspired by Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Right. You know. But was uh, a film and not a TV show and was in the, you know, 70s, 80s, 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 80s. early 80s, yeah. not, not, you know, um, 69 and not for network television. I think there's a way they could have done it mm. without being too, that's why a lot of it is like, you see it start, but then you hear it, you know, so that you don't yeah. actually have to have it on screen. There's um, a, there, there's one episode that it's, it's, it's a Marmite episode because some bits are good. Some bits are really bad, but Wolf in the Fold which is an early episode written by Robert Block, who had already written Psycho at that point. Um, mm. And it's very Jack the Ripper. And they got away with a lot for it being a network show, for it being Star Trek, um, right. without being too explicit. Okay. Um, and that 
reminds me a little bit of the the way you were describing that um that is an episode i i recommend you watch at some point okay well maybe that will be one of our gusherations because yes um as we previewed last episode i think episode the 10th episode of ours every 10th episode we are going to do a special gush oration where we choose an episode that we really really love and um or or an episode that our our audience our subscribers our patreons specifically really really love and we'll do that episode so that we still have one more to go before we get to a gush oration because this is episode eight so it's my turn so sean will be the one picking the first gush oration Oh, excellent. Um, cool. I will uh, pick something sh- easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, just something you love and you want to talk about. I am going to leave us then with our last judge for episode nine. But before you do that, can I give one tiny last little cool bit of behind oh, the scenes info? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Tiny, right. This is for the music lovers out there, right? Hmm. So Craig Huxley, who played the, the ginger kid in Marvel. this episode, mm-hmm. would grow up to become a composer and actually an inventor of an instrument. That instrument was called the Blaster Beam, which made its debut in Star Trek The Motion Picture. And it is that very distinctive kind of noise. It was a very long instrument that had, uh, it was was percussion. Uh, It's very, very cool. Um, But just, yes, so the little kid in this episode contributed to some of the more distinctive sounds in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Huh, that is very interesting. Yeah. No, sorry, good. please. No, what, good. what how, how will you ruin my happy mood? Well, it's time. <laughs> it was fair. <laughs> it's, no, Sean, it's, it's time. Oh, no. Enough, enough with the uh, ploys, enough with the uh, uh, hint dropping. It's just, just, we just got to suck it up and do it. So <sighs> we got to reach salamander speed. Oh, Okay. It's time for Threshold. Okay. It is time for Threshold. So I remember very little about this episode. I remember uh, Salamander transformation and Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, having Salamander babies on a planet. Mm -hmm. I remember that. I remember it's all about breaking the work 10 threshold for reasons I don't understand. And do I recall they made a Playmates action figure of this? I have it. I'll bring it with me on the next video. It's so interesting to me because I loved those Playmates action figures. I had every single one until I had a terrible boyfriend who got rid of all of them. Um, But I had every single one. And I always thought it was funny because I remember when Voyager came out and I think the toys were released either right when Voyager came out or right after. Like it was very close because you got toys of things that hadn't happened yet. And, or we hadn't seen yet, weren't on screen yet. And I remember thinking, like, after seeing it, I'm like, why did you make this? Why did you make, why was this episode something you made a toy out of? Did you really think this was going to be a big thing? It's, yeah, I'd have to, uh, funnily enough, actually, so to the, so obviously everyone listened to our podcast, of course, right. but the podcast, the Delta Flyers, which is hosted by Robert Duncan McNeil and mm. Garrett Wong, they discuss the episode Threshold. And I think I will most definitely have a listen to that before we record our episode, just to see what right. kind of nuggets we can get from the set. I know right. Robert Duncan McNeil doesn't hate this episode the way okay. many people do. Interesting. I didn't know there were other Star Trek podcasts. That's interesting. There isn't. I lied. Anyway, uh, thanks everyone for <laughs> dropping by. Right. All right. Well, um, um, run your diagnostics and uh, prepare your engineering teams because we're we're crossing the warp ten barrier next week. And until then, um, you know what? Go out and, for me. For me, as a favor to me, just go out in the world and just kick a kid. Just one one kid. Jeez. Just just walking down just just a short little you know don't hurt him but like let him know let him know the previous statement is not supported <laughs> or reflective in any way of star trek Durations or its affiliates <laughs> and now for our actual legal disclaimer bye uh, bye <laughs> 
Star Trek Jujurations is not endorsed by CBS, Viacom, Paramount Pictures, or any of their subsidiaries. It is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Star Trek Jujurations theme song includes elements of the Star Trek The Next Generation main title and is done so under U.S. copyright for fair use for parody.